And so this morning, I want to continue on this theme that we have had all year. I think my favorite theme ever, a king and a cause, the king of kings and basically the cause of all causes, a cause of living our life for this king and his cause is others. It's a lost world. It's people. It's hurting people, a king and a cause. We focus this year on the greatest person we could ever love and the greatest purpose we could ever live. A king to love and a cause to serve. And our king, Jesus, the king of kings, taught us to pray this prayer. And you know, I have been praying this prayer every day, several times a day this year. I pray this prayer that Jesus taught us to pray. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Your kingdom come. Your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. This is our king, and this is his cause. There are some Christians around the world today who are praying, Your church go. Come and get us. But what Jesus taught us to pray is, His kingdom come. And His will be done on earth as long as we're here. And until Jesus comes, you and I are the agents of bringing the kingdom of heaven and the will of God on earth through our daily living, through our daily serving, through our daily worship, and through our daily witness. And so this is the prayer that we pray. Our cause, our cause is to bring his kingdom on earth. How many think the earth would look different today if there was his kingdom come? How many think the earth would look different today if it's his will being done on earth as it is in heaven? And so we've been asking this question. We started the year with a question for the mandate. And the question is simply this. What am I doing on earth for heaven's sake? What am I doing in Penrith for kingdom's sake, for his will be done's sake? What am I doing? What on earth am I doing for heaven's sake? What on earth am I saying? What on earth am I praying What on earth am I believing for heaven's sake? What on earth am I giving? How on earth am I living? For his kingdom come and his will to be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're talking about devotion and duty. A devotion to him and a duty to our neighbors and to others. And we've been looking and gazing at the expanse of this kingdom of heaven, which Jesus said, it is near, it is here, it's right on our doorstep. He said, the kingdom of heaven is within you. We are, he, said the, he said, it's your father's good pleasure to give you this kingdom. And we've been looking at the, la, the vast landscape of this kingdom. And we've discovered that the kingdom of heaven, first off, is a kingdom of hope. Hope. It's a kingdom of hope. And we read in Matthew 12 and verse 21 that his name, the name of our king, his name will be the hope of all the world. And I was just with Pastor Messer this past week, and he had shared with us some months ago a a thought that God gave him that there is a dearth in the earth for hope. A dearth, which the dictionary says means a famine, a scarcity in short supply. The earth, there's a dearth in the earth of hope. 
And there is hopelessness, and I've read statistics, and we've looked at despair and, and hopelessness around us. And, and it, but the kingdom of heaven, the kingdom of heaven, we, we read it as a king. Listen, Romans 15, 13. Now may the God of hope, think about the dearth in the earth, but the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing that you may abound in hope, splash in hope, that you may, singing in the rain of hope, may abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. While there's a dearth in the earth, there is a fountain in the kingdom of heaven of hope. And then we read in Hebrews chapter 6 and verse 18, that we might have strong consolation who have fled for refuge to lay hold of the hope that is set before us. And we talked about hope is a rope. And the Lord has given us an anchor for our soul in the storm of life. And it is hope. But hope is a rope that we hold of, take a hold of and we hold on and anchor ourselves. We had not only saw the, in this vast landscape of the kingdom of heaven and the kingdom of God is, is a kingdom of hope. But we see it's also a kingdom of freedom. Not bondage freedom. And we read in 1 John chapter 3 and verse 8, for this purpose, Jesus was born in a manger. For this purpose, the Son of God was manifested. Here it is. Here it is. That he might destroy the works of the devil. That he might destroy the works of the devil. And the word destroy here means to loose one who is bound. And people, we know, I know personally from my own life what it means to be in bondage, what it means to be bound. And I know what it means to be free. I know what it means to have liberty. I know what both of those things mean in my own life, let alone how much more the whole world would understand what it means to be bound. And this word to, 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 that he would might destroy the works of the devil, it means to unbind. It means to release from chains Think of the chains that are around people's minds today. Think of the chains that are around people's hearts today. And it literally means to set free. That's why Jesus was born as a baby in Bethlehem. This is why he came to destroy the works of the devil. Freedom. Freedom. We read in Galatians chapter 5 and verse 1. It is for freedom that Christ has made us free. Jesus has come to set captives free. Deliverance is your daily bread in the kingdom of God. In this prayer, give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. That's why the Son of God was manifested. And we have learned that we can walk in freedom from the power of darkness. Darkness covers the earth. Gross darkness the people. This is what the scriptures teach us. But we do not live in that darkness when we live in the kingdom of heaven. And freedom is ours. The enemy wants to bind and, 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 and suppress our lives. He wants to. But we found out as we've studied this that we can walk in freedom in the kingdom of heaven. That we can invoke the precious blood of Jesus that we were talking about this morning at communion. We can evoke the blood and we can evict the devil. And we can invite the Holy Spirit to come and fill our heart and to fill our life. 
and we have this precious blood of Jesus for cleansing, and we have the precious name of Jesus for freeing, and we have the precious Holy Spirit for filling. And so cleansing us, freeing us, filling us, this is what the kingdom of heaven is all about. The apostle James said, resist the devil and he will flee from you. Resist him. Don't put up with him. Don't compromise with him. Don't make some kind of a passe deal. No, resist him and he will flee from you. And every chain and every claim of the devil is broken and defeated because of the kingdom of heaven that has come near you and that is in you. So we've studied this landscape of this great kingdom of God, this kingdom, thy kingdom come, Lord. Oh, we need it today. We need it here, Lord, in the earth. We've also not only seen it as a kingdom of hope and a kingdom of freedom, but we've seen it as a kingdom of light. Light. We read in 1 John chapter 1 and verse 5, this is the message which we have heard from him and declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. There is no shadow nor variableness of turning in him, the scripture says. We're talking about a kingdom of light and insight. We're talking about a kingdom of clarity and lucidity. lucidity. Now we compare that to the culture of today. We compare the kingdom of light to a culture that is so confused and cluttered and chaotic and crazy. And that's the culture that is all around us. That is the culture that politicians and leaders and, and actors and athletes and movie stars are, 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 are tripping in. And, 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 and we're talking about a, a world. Here we have a, a light-filled kingdom and a blind world. Where people walk in darkness and where, the, and where the blind are following the blind and there's confusion and there's no sense of light. The psalmist said, your word is a lamp unto my feet. It is a light unto my path. And we read in Colossians chapter 1 and verse 13. He has delivered us from the domain of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. This is the kingdom of God. This is the kingdom of heaven. We're not stumbling. We're not stumbling. We can see clear. The New Living Translation says, for he has rescued us from the kingdom of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his dear son. Come on, somebody. The kingdom of light versus the kingdom of lies. We're talking about the kingdom of clarity, where his word is a lamp and a light, compared to a kingdom of confusion, where people do not know up from down or right from wrong. As a matter of fact, a kingdom where people call right wrong and wrong right. And this world system has a name, and it's an old name, and it's called Babylon, and we've talked about it. Babylon, and I'm not talking about a city in ancient Iraq. I'm talking about the spirit of Babylon that was born in the Garden of Eden and is spoken of all the way through to the book of Revelation. Babylon is the spirit of the world. And Babylon literally means confusion. Babylon is proud and it's profane and it celebrates. It's a, it's a kingdom of narcissism. And we saw how that the king of Babylon in the Old Testament, Nebuchadnezzar, who was proud and profane and filled with narcissism. And we saw how that this king of confusion literally went insane. And we read his journey there in the Bible. 
for seven years. The prophet, he, there was a vision and a dream that he would lose his sanity, and he did. Can I tell you, Babylon's a real good place to lose your sanity. And for seven years, his fingernails grew out like, like eagle's claws, and his hair grew out like, like, like feathers, and he lived in the moist, the, the, the dew grass, and he ate, he ate the grass for seven years. He went insane. But in seven years, his sanity was restored. And we looked at how it was restored. First, first, he began to praise the God of heaven. What got him down there was self-praise. There's nobody but me. Look at me. This is Babylon. This is what I built. It's all about me. I don't even see you. I just see me. Well, that drove him crazy. And what got him out of crazy was when he began to look up and to glorify the God and the King of heaven. And then secondly, he just began to acknowledge that God does everything right and that God's ways are just. And then thirdly, he walked no longer in his narcissistic thoughts. He walked with humility. And that man regained his sanity in Babylon. He went from darkness to light he went from confusion to clarity, and he went from chaos to calm. Oh, the, the landscape of this kingdom of heaven that we've been preaching all year. This morning, I want to show you another beautiful plain and mountain range and scope of beauty and vision that is this kingdom of heaven. I want to talk about what I think could be the greatest juxtaposing of all when you compare the kingdom of God to the culture of the world. Now, what is juxtaposing? It's taking two completely contrasting views and looking at them side by side. Going, oh my, oh my. Two things couldn't be any further apart. And what I want to show you today about the kingdom of heaven is about as far apart from the kingdom of this world as you can get. I want to talk today that the kingdom of heaven, not only a kingdom of hope, not only a, you know, a kingdom of freedom, not only a kingdom of light, but the world doesn't even know what to do with this. But the kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of forgiveness. Yeah. Yeah. The kingdom of darkness is a kingdom of cancel culture and condemnation and accusation. But the forgiveness of sins is the power and the message of the kingdom of God. A king and a father who forgives. He forgives us. Did you know that the very name Satan in the New Testament literally means accuser? We thought it maybe meant tempter. It means accuser. Accuser. We have the king and the kingdom of forgiveness. And we have the culture and the culprit of accusation. 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 The kingdom of heaven is a kingdom of hope. It's a kingdom of freedom. It's a kingdom of light. And it is a kingdom of of forgiveness. We have a forgiving Father. We have a forgiving God. 
We have a forgiving king of kings. You show me one king in history like this king. Most kings want to strut their, their power and their fear and their threat and their, here's the king of glory. And what marks this kingdom from any other kingdom is it is a kingdom of forgiveness. I forgive. I forgive. We read in Psalm 130 in verse 3 and 4, If you, Lord, and here's just the God's truth, if you should mark iniquities, who's going to stand? No one in this room has a chance. No one on this platform has a chance. Lord, if you mark iniquities, tick, then who's going to stand? But there is forgiveness with you that you may be feared. The Good News Bible says, if you kept a record of our sins, who could escape being condemned? No one here, Lord. But you forgive us so that we should stand in awe of you. My frailty and my faults and my failures do not disqualify me from the kingdom of heaven. On the contrary, they qualify me. Your frailty, your faults, and your failures do not disqualify you from the kingdom of heaven. No, stay with me. They actually qualify you. Because this is not only the kingdom of forgiveness. It's the kingdom of the forgiven. This is where we live every day. Only the forgiven can live there. Only the forgiven can have pass and access into the kingdom of heaven. Look. Two men went up to the temple to pray. One a Pharisee and the other a tax collector. Some translations say a despised tax collector. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself. God, I thank you that I am not like other men. Extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this tax collector. Look, I fast twice a week. I give tithes of all I possess. And the tax collector standing afar off. Now, why was he standing afar off? Because he knew he was a bad man and he knew he was a good man and he, didn't, he just didn't feel like the bad man should get near the good man, at least in his mind. And so this tax collector stands afar off and he would not so much as raise his eyes to heaven, but he beat his breast and here's what he said. God, be merciful to me, a sinner. It's only sinners that are ever going to qualify for the kingdom of heaven. 
God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And then Jesus says, Jesus says, I tell you, this man, this sinner man, this man went down to his house justified rather than the other. For everyone who exalts himself will be humbled, and he who humbles himself will be exalted. This kingdom blows my mind because only forgiven sinners are qualified for the kingdom of heaven, not self-righteous people who fast twice a week and pay all their tithes. Jesus said, or we read in Luke 7, one of the Pharisees asked Jesus to have dinner with him. So Jesus went to his home and he sat down to eat. When a certain immoral woman from that city heard he was eating there, she brought a beautiful alabaster jar filled with expensive perfume. And then she knelt behind him at his feet, weeping. Her tears fell on his feet. When she saw her tears on his feet, she, she took her hair and she began to, to wipe off. She began to wipe them off with her hair. And then she kept kissing his feet and putting perfume, putting perfume on them. And when the Pharisee who had invited him saw this, he said to himself, ah, if this man were a prophet, he would know what kind of woman is touching him. She's a sinner. And Jesus answered his thoughts. Simon, he said to the Pharisee, I have something to say to you. Go ahead, teacher, replied Simon. And so Jesus tells him a story. He said, a man loaned money to two people, 500 pieces of silver to one and 50 pieces to the other, but neither of them could repay him. So he kindly forgave them both, canceling their debts. Who do you suppose loved him? More. After, after that, Simon's wife, I suppose, the one whom he canceled the larger debt. That's right, Jesus said. And he turned to the woman and he said to Simon, Look at this woman kneeling here. When I entered your home, you didn't offer me water to wash the dust off my feet, but she has washed them with her tears and wiped them with her hair. You didn't greet me with the traditional kiss, but from the time I first came in, she has not stopped kissing my feet. You neglected the courtesy of olive oil to anoint my head, but she has anointed my feet with rare perfume. I tell you, her sins, and they are many. 
they've been forgiven. And she has shown me much love. But a person who is forgiven little shows only a little love. And then Jesus said to the woman, your sins are forgiven. And of course the men at the table said among themselves, who is this man that he goes around forgiving sins? And Jesus says, To the woman, your faith has saved you. Go in peace. And she just entered the kingdom of the forgiven, the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven. And what qualifies you and me for the kingdom of heaven is not our sinless life, but our forgiven life. kingdom of forgiveness, a father of forgiveness, a family of forgiveness. And what holds us all together in this kingdom is our love, our love to the one who's forgiven us much. It's not law. It's not legalism. It's not boundaries. It's not how about this and what about this and can I? No, no. It's just about love. Now, if you've only been forgiven 50 pieces of silver, maybe it's not the same. But if you've been forgiven 500 pieces, it's more love. That's the doctrine of Jesus. Colossians 1 and verse 12. Giving thanks to the Father who has qualified us to be partakers of the inheritance of the saints in life. He's qualified us. He's qualified us. And not only that, watch this. And he's delivered us from the power of darkness. He's qualified us to inherit with saints. That's you and me, family. You and I, he has qualified us to inherit with saints. And he's delivered us from the power of darkness and then conveyed us, transferred us into the kingdom of the son of his love in whom we have redemption through his blood. How? How does he do that? How does he qualify us? How does he trans? How does he deliver us? How, what's the, how, how does all of this happen? Watch. Through the forgiveness of sins. Through the forgiveness of sins. He delivers us from the power of darkness by the forgiveness of sins. Now watch, I want to show you how this works. And this is why this message is so uncanny. It's why this message is, is so beautifully crazy and wonderfully insane. Darkness keeps us in its power through the accusation of Satan. It keeps us in the muck and the mire through the guilt and the shame and the condemnation of continuous accusation. But forgiveness of sin is Satan's worst nightmare. Because he has no defense against it. Because when there's forgiveness of sin, all of his accusation is just nothing. It's just silence. And so he's ranting. And he's, he's saying, you're no good. You're no good. You're no good. 
and there is no God. You're no good, and there is no God. You're no good, and there is no God. You're no good, and there is no God. And while he rants and raves his accusations against us, Jesus says, your sins, which are many, are forgiven. And then the devil, all we got to say is, shut up. Shut up. You see, when I have peace with God through forgiveness, I have the peace of God in the kingdom of heaven. A kingdom of forgiveness. Professor N.T. Wright says this is the thing that marks the kingdom of God more than anything on this planet. It is the most unnerving thing on this planet, a kingdom of forgiveness. You know, when the prodigal son, you remember the story? He was there in the father's house. Give me half of what belongs to me. And just went and lived his life. We remember the story. I won't read it. He lived in all, of, all the, his sins, which were many. But he finds himself out of money, out of work, literally now in an existential crisis because he's probably going to starve to death. And we know he's, he's feeding pigs and eating the food that's dropping out of their mouth. And he comes to himself. And he says, I'm going to go back to my father's house. But here is the whole thing that covers him on his way back. Is he feels, he has this huge sense of unworthiness. Unworthy. He's unworthy. Look what he's done. Look what he's done to his father. Look what he's done to himself. Look what he's done to his health. Unworthy. But he returns to his father. And what does he say to his father? You remember, he's, you know, Father, uh, I, I'm unworthy to be called your son. Make me like one of your hired servants. You know, please put me in the bunk house over there, and I'll work. I'll work my heart out just so I don't, I don't, I, I'm so. But did you notice the Father never addresses his sense of unworthiness? No, he just puts the ring of the family seal Right on his finger. Father, I'm unworthy to... And then he kisses him. Father, I'm unworthy. And then he welcomes him. And then he puts shoes on his feet. And then he goes out and throws the biggest party he has thrown in decades and welcomes the homecoming of a son. Because he's a forgiving father. And I want you to understand this. Because you might be struggling right now thinking, well, what about this and what about this? Please listen to this thought. When the prodigal son received his father's forgiveness, he had no sense of license and that he had just got away with something and, oh, that was kind of easy. Maybe I'll go back out and do this again. No. No. He had already eaten with the pigs. No, he had already tasted the pods that the pigs ate and he put them in his mouth. No. No. He just wanted to live in deep gratitude and deep love and deep humility towards his forgiving father. In Colossians chapter 2 and verse 13, and you being dead, excuse me, team, I'll call for you. 
I'm not on the clock. I'm kind of, anyway. And you, being dead in your trespasses and the uncircumcision of your flesh, watch, watch what he's done for us. He has made alive together with him. Watch, having forgiven you all trespasses. But here's, okay, actually, you're right. I'm sorry. You're right. I was wrong. This is the time to come. <laughs> I, just looked at, I just looked at my notes. I'm wrong. You're right. Please come. <laughs> that was me. That was my bad. Sorry. Give our team a hand. I just looked at my notes and thought, oh, team, thank you. <laughs> wrong page. Listen to this as I think about this kingdom. So here we are forgiven. Many, much were forgiven. But then we read this from Paul. Colossians 3.13. Bearing with one another. Everybody say one another. See, here's where this goes. This is where this eventually goes. This is where this eventually brings us that will change the world. Bearing with one another. And forgiving one another. If anyone has a complaint against another, even as Christ forgave you, so you also must do. This is a kingdom of forgiveness and forgiving. Forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. This is a kingdom where we have been forgiven much, so we forgive much. This is a kingdom where our debts have been canceled, so we cancel debts. A kingdom, not just of forgiveness, but forgiving. You've heard me say through the years many times that I attended about 10 years ago the Global Atheist Convention in Melbourne. Dr. Rice Brooks came to Australia, and he wrote his book, God is Not Dead. And he asked me if I would go with him because he wanted to go to the Global Atheist Conference in Melbourne, the largest gathering of atheists, indoor gathering of atheists in the world. And all of the greatest atheist speakers in the world were there. And I heard of all the things I heard in that conference. And it was, it was a hard conference, man. I felt like I was camped at the gates of hell for about three days. I think I was the only pastor in Australia that attended that conference. But I heard Richard Dawkins, who, you know, probably wears the hat of the most famous atheist speaker in the world. I just looked right out at us one time, and he said these words, I never forgive. I never forgive. Interesting note. Something happened two weeks ago. In that conference, those, the... They call themselves the four horsemen, these four atheists. But, but uh, uh, Christians, Hutchinson, Christopher Hutchinson had passed away, so now there are only three of the famous horsemen. But there's an atheist woman, a brilliant woman, uh, named Ayan um, Hershey Ali, a Somali woman who had been born a Muslim, and they were kind of crowning her as the fourth horseman of atheism because of her brilliance, she's Harvard, she's, she's just brilliant. You know, two weeks ago, she converted to Christianity. And her testimony right now, 
Her testimony right now is lighting up the internet, all over the internet, and through all of her study and all that she has seen, she is saying that Christianity is the hope of the world, and that the greatest thing on this planet that has ever been is the Judeo-Christian ethic, and no atheism or any other religion could ever compare to it, and what the world needs today is more Christianity. Just a side note, that's, that's like, that's happened in November. This is November. But Dawkins said, I never forgive. Well, you know what he was speaking? He's speaking the culture of the world. But you and I say, we always forgive. That's the kingdom of heaven. Now, I forgive every day. I'm forgiven every day. Give us this day our daily bread. Forgive us our debts as we forgive. I forgive daily. I'm forgiven daily. I'm telling you what. There is a kingdom that says I never forgive. And whatever you've done, you're canceled. I don't care if you did it when you were seven years old. You're still canceled. But there is a king and a cause. There's this king of heaven. There's this father of forgiveness. And we live in this kingdom of forgiveness. And forgiveness comes to me and through me. And I want to ask as I close, how would the world be different right now if his will like this was being done on earth right now as it is in heaven? How many know hatred? There'd be no more. How many know racism? There'd be no more. How many know wars would cease? Why? Because we're forgiven and we forgive. Because, and so how do we advance the kingdom of God? How do we advance this kingdom of God? By being those who live in forgiveness and who flow in forgiveness. Who receive forgiveness and flow in forgiveness. Would you stand with me, please? Thy kingdom come. This is the hope of the world. That the kingdom of heaven would come. That the will of God would be done. And you and I are the agents. Everywhere you go this week, and forgiveness flows to you and through you, I'm telling you, the kingdom is taking ground. Bow your heads with me, please. I want you to consider what a great father, what a great father we have in heaven. I want you to consider his heart of forgiveness. And I I want you to not listen to the accuser because you're not accused, you're forgiven. Somebody hear that right now. You're not accused. You're forgiven. That's what the cross is all about. That's what the blood is all about. That's what the communion that we just received today is all about. It's about being forgiven. Sinners forgiven. That's, who, that's the population of heaven. It's not perfect people. It's sinners who have been forgiven. That's the population of the kingdom of heaven. But may you and I also think of those right now who were critical of or who were who we have a complaint, this is what Jesus said, who we have a complaint against. And would you be willing to let that forgiveness that flows to you today also flow through you today and let his kingdom come as that happens in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you.